You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome into another episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast. Sure hope this finds you doing well. It's been a couple weeks. I apologize. Uh, The week before last, I was out of town, and then last week I was uh, playing catch-up. I was so far behind on work that needed to get done. I just didn't have time to record a podcast, so appreciate your grace on that, and excited to be back with you this week. What I'm going to do this week is bring one... um, from out of the archives. Now, not a lesson that you've heard um, or a podcast that you've heard before, but rather an article that I wrote. I want to kind of give you um, a, a audio version of this article that I wrote a few years ago. And um, hard to believe, actually. Uh, I wrote this in 2018. Um, gosh, time flies. Um, but it's still relevant today. And um, I just want to talk through a couple things about it with you. And we're going to talk about why uh, maybe you can't actually answer objections when they come up to Christianity. Like maybe if you've been in a conversation with somebody, you know, you, you're just, you're encountering questions or maybe you're not confident enough even to get into a conversation with somebody. And it's like, why can't I do this? Why can't I talk through my convictions confidently? Uh, why can't I be persuasive? Why can't I um, lead others to Jesus? And we're going to talk about some reasons that might be, and then some really practical things that you can do um, in order to help fix this scenario in your life. So without further ado, um, let's dive right in. So as Christians who are actually committed to sharing our ideas in the public square, inevitably, we are going to encounter some difficult scenarios, right? We are going to come across times where controversial topics come up. And this is even more true today than when I originally wrote these ideas down in 2018. You know, maybe somebody has offered a challenge to your convictions and you've never considered it before. Um, and, and maybe it even begins to cause you some emotional and spiritual anxiety. I know that when I first got into apologetics, it was out of the concern of, well, what happens if this stuff isn't really true? And um, in my case, I, I thought about it on my own, uh, but sometimes people go down a road and a journey like this because of a question somebody asked or a, just a conversation that they had, maybe even with a family member. And they're sort of awakened to this rude awakening uh, that not everybody's a Christian. And in fact, some people actually have some serious objections to Christianity, and some of them might even be hard to answer. So it's sad but true, but today, many Christians cannot defend their faith. We talked about this just last night at Men's Group. Um that, uh, you know, a lot of times people just don't know how to have these conversations. Um, it's not that they don't want to, okay? Not that they don't want to be able to defend their faith. Not that they don't want to be able to share Christ. They they just can't for some reason, or, or maybe they don't even know that they should. Again, for most of my adult Christian life, I had no idea that um, like part of being a Christian was answering objections to the faith that arise. I truly and unsincerely did not know that. Um So today, I'd like to consider just five of the possible reasons why maybe you are having trouble with this, right? Why maybe you're having trouble defending your faith and answering some objections. And then I do want to give you some practical advice to get you started down the road. So the first reason is this. Maybe maybe you've actually been told that the Bible doesn't need defending, okay? Um, Now, there's there's a quote that comes up often by Charles Spurgeon. And I want to read this to you. It's a little long. Um, 
But I've seen this quote floating around so many times. I've had more times uh, than I can count um, about the lion and the cage. So let me read this to you. Quote, there seems to me to have been twice as much done in some ages defending the Bible as in expounding it. But if the whole of our strength shall henceforth go to the exposition and spreading of it, we may leave it pretty much to defend itself. I do not know whether you see that lion. It is very distinctly before my eyes. A number of persons advance to attack him, while a host of us would defend the grand old monarch, the British lion, with all our strength. Many suggestions are made and much advice is offered. This weapon is recommended and the other. Pardon me if I offer a quiet suggestion. Open the door and let the lion out. He will take care of himself. Why, they are gone. He no sooner goes forth in his strength than his assailants flee. The way to meet in infidelity is to spread the Bible. The answer to every objection against the Bible is the Bible. So as such, uh, end quote, by the way, that's the end of that uh, Charles Spurgeon quote. Um, one of the often repeated preacherisms or pastorisms of our day is to cast doubt on the legitimacy of doing apologetics. That is actually defending the faith, right? It's casting doubt on that. Now, my friend and a colleague, uh, I've actually interviewed him on the podcast. His name is Dr. Edgar Andrews. He has written a column. Um, which again, I linked to in the post related to this podcast. You can go find it. Um, I'll, I'll link it uh, there in the podcast notes and, and you can see the link there. And uh, basically um, he took this quote apart, right? And he expanded on the intent and the implications of the quote. And Dr. Andrews helpfully draws from Spurgeon's analogy, this three-step process that one can do in order to do as precisely as he suggested, open the door, and let the lion out, right? This is what Spurgeon wants you to do. Open the door and let the lion out so he can defend himself, okay? And the three-step suggestion that Dr. Edgar Andrews gives is to find the key, oil the hinges, and then open the door wide enough. Okay, listen there. Find the key, oil the hinges, and then open the door wide enough. So he points out that, quote, a direct doctrine of scripture is a necessary foundation, but unless we are capable of rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15, the door will still not open, end quote. Isn't that fantastic? So uh, basically what he's saying is that this idea of finding the key to the cage is to be forming a direct doctrine of Scripture. So in other words, to, to let Scripture out, you sort of have to be able to formulate a correct doctrine of that. And to continue his illustration, rightly dividing the word of truth, he likens to the legitimacy of biblical apologetics. So he provides this rationale. Quote, the New Testament epistles are filled with argumentation as a forest is filled with trees. Paul reveals how central to his ministry is this form of communication when he declares the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. Unless we are equipped and prepared to reason with people from the scriptures and confront the arguments of unbelief by rational argumentation of our own, the lion will remain trapped in its cage. This is not only the responsibility of preachers, but of every Christian. As Peter says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you, 1 Peter 3.15. So, in other words, to simply say without any qualification that the Bible does not require defending 
is to actually ignore the Bible's own command to defend it. It's to ignore Paul's preaching, Paul's teaching. It's, it's, it's actually to ignore any place where Jesus pointed to evidence concerning himself. And so, of course, you're right whether to question certain methods of this defense are more biblically correct than others. And we've talked about that in various places. Like maybe there's a, a correct way to defend the Bible and an incorrect way to defend the Bible. But to say that the Bible needs no defense is to actually ignore what the Bible says about defending itself. So if we're going to throw the lion out of its cage, if we're going to you know, abide by how, how the Bible can defend itself, um, then we have to understand that part of that, part of what the Bible requires is for the followers of Jesus, the followers of the Bible, um, to actually aid in defending it. So I would say, number one, let's consider that myth busted and start defending God's word. All right, reason number two, and uh, this is a big one and an understandable one, it's that you don't think you're smart enough to do the job. You don't think you're smart enough to do a job. Now, I can totally relate to this, okay? Uh, I've been accused of many, many things during my uh, few years on this planet, um, 33 almost at the time of recording this, 28 when I wrote this, which is just crazy. Um, but I have to say that smart was never really one of them, okay? For for the vast majority of my adult life, people um, did not really think of me as being smart, all right. And I find the testimony of a lot of other apologists to be very similar. I think about Tim Stratton of Free Thinking Ministries. I've heard Tim actually speak to this on very occasions before. And um, I decided to reach out directly to him for some background. He's a he's a friend of mine. We talk occasionally. He's a fellow bass player. Um, and I've interviewed him on the podcast before as well. So I want to give you uh, Tim's personal testimony in his own words. He says this, quote, I have made passing comments probably in podcast lectures and sermons about my scholastic struggles when I was younger. I like to say that I thought D stood for diploma and degree. I also have to say that I've been labeled as a gifted student because every time I got a C, that was a gift. In fact, I got a 14 on my ACT, which is really low, my junior year. I took it again my senior year and bumped it up a whopping three points. I thought a 17 was good enough. I was the guy on the basketball team who was always in danger of getting kicked off because of my grades. My first two years of college at UNK were not that good. But then when I started to take my Christianity seriously, a funny thing happened. My grades started getting better too. I finished my undergrad and eventually graduated with a master's degree from Biola with highest honors. I'm currently pursuing a PhD. And side note, uh, he has since earned that PhD. Be that as it may, I have never considered myself to be the smart guy, and I still don't. In fact, I really struggle with always feeling like the stupid kid. I know that I have been transformed by the renewing of my mind, Romans 12, 2, but I still have to constantly take those thoughts captive, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, before they take me, Colossians 2, 8. Bottom line, when God uses the academically challenged people like me, where we are weak, God is strong. God gets the glory, not me. Close quote. I really, really uh, resonate with Tim's thoughts there, and maybe you do too. Um, again, he's a perfect example of somebody who's really making a name 
for himself as a uh, defender of Christianity. He's got a great organization, um, full-time in ministry, um, has, uh, I think he's working on or either has released already an updated uh, version of his uh, book, which grew out of his PhD thesis, and yet uh, was a C and D student in school. Um, and, you know, for me, it's like, despite the fact that I've never uh, considered myself to be especially able-minded, and I've never been accused of this, um, you know, somewhere around a couple thousand people uh, per month interact with my podcast written and, and, and video content um, around uh, theology and stuff. And even more, if you look into my, uh, my business content as well. So, you know, it's like me personally, I have no explanation for this other than just the grace of God, which makes my point. Um, you're not going to find an individual in the scriptures who was greatly used of God, who thought that it was within his own power to be effective. I'm going to repeat that because I really want you to hear it. You will not find in the scriptures an individual that was greatly used of God who thought it was within his own power to be effective. Effective people, effective Christians, people who truly end up doing something for the Lord are people who know better than anyone their own personal limitations. They rely on God. So even though I'm an underdog, right, even though Tim is an underdog, we join the ranks of the Gideons and the Moseses that have gone before us. I've got no right to compare myself to them. Of course, I'm certainly not inscripturated like they are, but I can't help. But should the God of the universe care to use me or you or Tim or whoever else in a great way that he can do it. So study and pray, I would say diligently about this. Do what Solomon did and ask for wisdom. God honors the request of those with a heart for his ministry. Okay, reason number three is uh, maybe you just don't care about theology and apologetics. Now, I really hope this isn't you, but I have met people like this. In other words, I have met people who um, know that you know deep theology and apologetics are a thing, right? Who know that um, they matter to some people, but they feel like they don't matter to them, right? So they're aware of them, but they feel like, oh, I just have a personal relationship with God and I don't need any of that other stuff. And I think part of this is um, spiritual apathy, okay? Spiritual apathy. Now, Jesus expands on this in the so-called parable of the soils, and I actually have a... Um, a post on the website about that. And I think I might have done it as a podcast as well. Uh, so I'll link to all that, that, that you can go ahead and check out. I talk about this. Um, but suffice it to say that there's not really much more important that you can possibly have than sound doctrine and teaching. Okay. <laughs> like if you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't have this problem. Okay. But like maybe, you know, people with it. So I just want to kind of characterize it so that you can help, um, you know, others through it. Um, and I hope this isn't you personally, but like I was, was getting ready to say, churches never grow in spite of sound teaching. Like a church doesn't grow because of other efforts in spite of the fact that there is sound teaching there. Uh, real healthy churches grow because of it. Now, sure, you've got some churches that are grow because, it, you know, the teaching is very vapid and very much something that people, you know, it's ear tickling uh, to use a biblical terminology. Maybe they're good at marketing, but real, healthy, effective Biblically grounded churches grow because of sound teaching, because of teaching through the Bible. Oftentimes that looks like expository preaching, actually expounding and expositing the scriptures. 
But if you've never taken it upon yourself to learn more about God and share him with others, how can you possibly be effective for the kingdom? I actually question the salvation of somebody who claims to be a follower of Christ, but then has no desire to learn about what a relationship with him should actually look like and how to be truly effective at drawing others into a relationship with him. Now, I'm not saying that every Christian must become a door-to-door evangelist. In fact, I am very much not one of those. It's it's very much not my personality uh, to do that. We all have different strengths. We all have different weaknesses. But one thing's for sure. You're never going to be effective as a witness for Christ if you don't learn to desire what the Bible actually teaches and also desire to share it. Um, one of my, uh, a book that I'm working on, it's actually almost done. I just got, just got to uh, get my rearing gear, as they say, and get it finished up. I talk about loving the Bible for what it is versus hating the Bible for what it isn't. Um, people who uh, really appreciate like ear tickling sort of uh, preaching, you know, people who are just concerned and content with their own uh, stuff, maybe what they grew up with, and they're really not uh, interested in digging into the scriptures to find out things for themselves. Um, these are people who might would say that they love the Bible, but they love it for something that it is not. And it's hard to bridge that gap from loving the Bible for something that it isn't to loving the Bible for something that it actually is. All right. So reason number four is that you've been told to never question the Bible. Now, two things here. So for me, um, I've never been like directly given this advice. Nobody is that like, I've never went to somebody with a question and they said, Hey, like you're not supposed to question the Bible. Um, but in the environment where I, uh, grew up, there was sort of that air there, right? There was sort of an, a assumption that, well, you don't really question it. You just kind of do what it says. Okay. And I've heard, uh, a lot of stories of, of young people and even older people leaving the faith because when they finally did muster up the courage to ask important questions and things that were, uh, bothering them. Whoever they were asking gave a pretty unsettling response, uh, something like one of these. First, uh, the Bible says to never question God. Or, who is the clay to doubt the work of the potter? Ever heard that one before? I have. How about this? Just have more faith. Just have more faith. It'll all work out. Just have more faith. Um, or this one, just pray until God answers your question. Just pray until God answers your question. So here's the issue. When you cash all these out, in context, there's not a shred of biblical support for any of them as it relates to answering questions about the faith. Like all of those things may, in some nuanced way, have a place, but never is there biblical support for a response like this when somebody has a question about what's going on about their faith. So um, even if you're not going to leave your faith because of this. A natural consequence is that you may develop the tendency to perpetuate the lie. And of course, this would be a very egregious error. Um, question asking, persuasion, argumentation, etc. These are all things that are found throughout the Bible. In fact, we talked about that um, back in reason number one. So never question the Bible is actually pretty terrible and unbiblical advice. Now, here's what I don't mean by that. I don't mean that the Bible is guilty until proven innocent. Okay, that's not what I mean. There is a massive difference between questioning the Bible as God's word and its application to our daily lives, and then having questions or doubts about certain aspect of the Christian worldview. 
course, I also don't mean that we should ignore the advice of Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all that heart and lead not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. When I don't understand something, I always give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. Okay, I am humble enough to admit that I don't have all the answers um, and that there may well be some things that even in this lifetime, I don't get to understand. Now, as a parallel, part of the scientific enterprise is desperately trying to falsify a hypothesis. That way, as it stands with falsification, it can be more reasonably accepted as correct. However, this works in concert with the fact that if there is 100 things to be explained and a theory uh, explains 90% of the time, we don't throw it out because we have 10 things uh, unexplained, right? So you have a theory and it's like, well... Um, it'd be really great if we had a hundred things, uh, a hundred out of a hundred things needed, you know, explained by this theory, but we only have 90. So it looks like it's a, it's a bad theory. Um, that's not how it works in the real world. And so we shouldn't approach the Bible that way either. There may be things that are difficult for some to work through in the Bible, but if we have a good reason to believe that lots of other things are true, and that the biblical worldview as a whole is true, then we are certainly not obligated to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And in fact, that would be very intellectually uh, not good. Um, as tough as it may be to square some of the things, for instance, that we find in the Old Testament uh, with our current experience, we have good reason to believe that the documents are accurately reporting the events that they are. So there is that balance that has to be maintained. What's the point? Well, the point is that it's okay to ask these questions. Let's not pretend they don't exist. Um, that's unhelpful advice and it's an unbiblical practice. We should avoid it. You know, if we have questions about the Old Testament, let's ask them and get them answered. If we have questions about the New Testament, let's ask them and get them answered. If we have questions about early to mid, you know, late, whatever, church history, then let's ask them and get them taken care of. I think it's a good practice to go through and have our questions answered. Okay, reason number five, and this is a toughie, so bear with me here. Reason number five, you aren't actually a Christian. And this is another one where, you know what, you may not fall victim to this, but maybe you have others who do. And uh, I just want you to hear me out here, okay? I've, I've mentioned a few times now that the idea of leaving the faith or walking away from the uh, faith is something that's happening a lot more recently. But I am a believer in the doctrine of eternal security. And so uh, because of that, um, what I don't mean is that we are dealing with once converted Christians. Okay, very, very important. So if you're a person who can't answer objections to Christianity, or you know somebody like this, and find your faith wavering, or their faith is wavering, then there is the uncomfortable possibility that you or they are not a Christian at all. And um, let me explain a little more. So doubt is not necessarily a bad thing, okay? I think there are definitely some cases where unreasonable doubt is warranted. Uh, it can lead you to a more robust faith. I know I have experienced doubt. My wife has experienced doubts. I know um, many other Christians who have experienced uh, doubts. In fact, I know some well-known defenders of Christianity who experienced tough seasons of doubt. However, I've also had in-depth conversations with election. However, I've also had in-depth conversations with individuals whose doubt has driven them completely away from the faith. Could they still return? I suppose, uh, but they may not. And the question is, why such a difference? Why, for some, does doubt ultimately end up bringing them closer 
And why for others does doubt drive them away? And the only logical explanation that I can really come up with for this is false conversion. That is having the sense that one knows Christ while not really knowing him at all in reality. And again, it's not fun to talk about. It kind of stinks, frankly, to hear. Um, But, you know, Jesus talks about this. In fact, Jesus warned of this. I'll bring your attention to Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now this verse is just, it's it's like, it's intense. People that have prophesied in the name of the Lord, they've cast out devils, done many wonderful works, and yet Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So it's quite unsettling. Uh, But this passage gives a clear indication that one day there are going to be those who stand before God thinking that they have every right to spend eternity with him based on their relationship and find out that Christ never knew them at all, that God never knew them at all. And, you know, one might want to say that um, they had every reason to, you know, believe that their experience of Christ was genuine, but regardless, they are not going to inherit eternal life. So what's the lesson? If you're in a season of just completely crippling doubt, do everything in your power to ensure that things are right with God everything in your power. One can enjoy the presence of Jesus for eternity, having had doubts, but one cannot do so, having never been saved. Huge difference. All right. Now, uh, a bit of practical advice there. A a colleague, Jonathan McClatchy, has a wonderful ministry set up called talkaboutdoubts.com, where you can go and schedule a time with a scholar, a Christian scholar or or pastor or... uh, You know, just people who are uh, really into this stuff, frankly, um, that you can you can go back and forth with and talk about the evidence for whatever thing that you are uh, struggling with. Okay, um, huge, great ministry. Talkaboutdoubts.com. I would highly encourage you to check it out if you are in a season of doubt. So, as we wrap up here, what are some real practical solutions to to this? To be able to start being able to actually answer objections to Christianity when they come up. So let's work backwards and consider some practical steps uh, necessary to equip yourself. Step one is to make sure you know Jesus, okay? As we already talked about, you're never going to be able to answer others' objections well if you don't know the God whom you're defending. In my opinion, this is the first and uh, most necessary step. Step number two is to develop a love for God's word. Now, this one's huge. It's actually the topic of the uh, book that I'm working on. And um, it's just simply that a genuine love for God's word will effectively eliminate reasons one, three, and four that we talked about before. Like the more you love God's word and denounce spiritual apathy, the more in tune you will be with what God's word actually teaches. Pay close attention to the Bible's endorsement of biblical apologetics for actually giving a defense of the faith and 
Don't use the Bible's position of authority as some kind of excuse not to defend it. And then finally, step number three, develop your confidence in God's ability to use you. As you embark on this process, you know, you're going to begin to notice the kind of people that God uses. As you read more of the Bible, you study the Bible, I would really encourage you to read the stories of people like Gideon, of people like David, of people like Samuel, okay? Biblical heroes, so to speak, and characters who um, were not exactly worthy of God to use them, to put it mildly, and yet God did. He uses the meek the weak, and the lowly. And in fact, the Bible says that the more you decrease, the more he can increase. So look it, if you believe you're not the smart guy, good. <laughs> you're in good company. Allow yourself to be used of God. Believe that he can use you for his purposes and according to his will. If you do this, you'll be well on the way to answering objections to Christianity with grace, with reason, and with precision. All right, my friends, thank you for listening to this episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. hope it was helpful for you. Get out there. Start defending Christianity today. Remember, you don't have to be beholden to these, these five reasons okay, that, that, that you can't answer objections to Christianity. You have to get over them. Okay, develop a love for the Bible. Make sure you're a Christian. Make sure you're saved. Develop your confidence in God's ability to use you. It will make a gigantic difference in your life and in the life of those around you. All right, God bless my friends. We'll see you next time here on the Bible Nerd Podcast. And, uh, and you take care.